Hey, as the, uh, the worship team descends from the platform here, uh, wanted to just uh, point out another thing. Uh, Mike mentioned a couple of our ministry partners, Hedy Lifeline and Lifeline Children's Services. And then he also mentioned Voice of the Martyrs, and that's where we get our information about Christians being persecuted around the world. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs has produced a movie about persecution. It's called the uh, Sabina movie, uh, the Tortured for Christ, the Nazi Years. And it's about an atheist woman who was drawn to Christ and his love and forgiveness through the Nazi occupation. So uh, we're, we're saying that because today is the last day you can watch it for free on your own. At, and you go to sabinamovie.com. And, uh, and so I'm just want to encourage you, uh, it actually, this particular issue of persecution actually fits quite well into the message today. Uh, one of the greatest incongruities, uh, hardest to understand, one of the most troublesome obstacles, obstacles to faith in God is the existence of pain, tragedy, persecution, and disaster. Now, we use a whole lot of words to describe how loving and caring and merciful God is, and those words are true. Yet, when an unbeliever experiences heartache, disease, or destruction, or sees others suffering, maybe even dying, without explanation, without justification, those words that we as Christians speak may seem hollow. And of course, the natural question that we've all heard is, how can a good and a loving God allow such things to happen? You know, we are, this is the first Sunday of what they call the Lent season. You know, what some faith traditions, they recognize the 40 days before Easter, uh, and, you know, to, to, to look at the, the 40 days that Christ spent in the wilderness being tempted. Um, now, this is not an Easter message, but the historicity of the resurrection as an essential conviction of Christianity is just that. It's essential. You can't be a Christian in the biblical sense, in the real sense, without believing in the resurrection. And it's key to understanding that God is in control. We must trust Him, especially when we meet up with tragedy, whether on the world stage or in our personal lives. So there's quite a few various responses to bad things in the world. Now, presently, we're in a series about passing genuine faith on to succeeding generations. In other words, to the young. And of course, we all want our young, whether children or grandchildren or others that we know that are young, to have the fortitude to face the realities of life with a spirit of courage, gratitude, and security. Now, a young person in any era of time may hear early on in church about how Jesus loves and will care for them. And as they grow, they may, their cognitive de abilities develop and they start to notice that bad things are happening, sometimes to the very people who told them how loving and caring Jesus is. 
Then as they mature into the teen years, this may create some dissonance in their minds between what they're told and the realities of life. Now, add on top of that, today there seems to be a hypersensitivity and a cultural demand that all bad things, even hard realities, must be eliminated even if that's impossible. Now, some of the older generation were taught that life is really the school of hard knocks. And perhaps that kept some of us from constant fretting over every little offense. But it may have also drained some of us from empathy. Uh, young people today are undeniably affected by their peers, some of whom you'll have to admit are unbelievers. Really, you probably have no idea who are, who's communicating, speaking into the lives of your children today because of technology. And in a postmodern world in which there is no anchor in God or even reality, the young believers are left facing difficulties on their own with no comfort or security from a transcendent father who has a handle on everything. Now, it's not the job of parents and grandparents to teach kids to avoid the trials and tribulations of life because that's impossible. Those things are inevitable. But we should be training them to give them a perspective in a way that enables them to handle those difficulties, those hard knocks. It's no stress to say that we live in a very cruel world where pain, tragedy, and death are frankly all too common. The hard reality is bad stuff happens. Not all the time, not, it's not constant. Most people experience times of joy and happiness, but that can flip sometimes on a dime to disappointment, sorrow, mourning over hardships, loss, or even death. In Romans 8, Paul reminds us that the creation was subjected to futility and that creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And we think this, uh, this, this uh, implies uh, destructive winds, floods, earthquakes, volcanoes, natural disasters. And that means that this, those kinds of things caused death and destruction as inevitable realities for everybody. And as we know from our study in Genesis 3, all of this is a result of the fall of man when sin entered into the world. So without faith in God, some will medicate or dull those hard realities through drug abuse or sexual immorality or possessions or powers. But that just often brings upon additional consequences. But long ago, in a country ruled by foreign conquerors, a rather ragtag group of common laborers and others from the lower class of society believed that a young man born in humble means, born by apparent unfaithfulness to a teen bride, was actually the Messiah. The Messiah who was prophesied to come and restore paradise where there would be no more conflict, oppression, fear, or even death, which they read in the book of Isaiah. This unlikely belief was fortified by both the wisdom of this young man and the miracles that he performed before them. 
To them, this Messiah that they were seeing was real, he was palpable, he was with them. So a few people dropped everything and followed him, became his disciples, and over time, others came along as well. But then, one day, these disciples watched in horror and dismay as this man, in whom they had placed all their trust, was nailed to a cross to die with criminals. Now, can you imagine how they felt? All their hopes and dreams of actually having a Savior dashed. At the same time, can you imagine Satan crouching invisibly on the side with a smirk on his face as the Son of God writhes in pain, a sinless man dying a sinner's death? Perhaps the thought of unexpected victory crossed his mind uh, when he recalls that God had promised long before that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Now, at stake here was much more than the fate of a few disciples. Hanging on the cross was the fate and the future of the entire human race and any hope of life in eternity. Paul tells us that Adam's sin, which we all inherited, brought death, so death spread to all in Romans 5. Once they witnessed their perceived Messiah nailed to a cross, their hope of being freed from that dark death seemed to have evaporated and then was buried behind the stone of his grave. So, it's easy for us to look back askance at their lack of faith. After all, Jesus, had, if they'd paid attention to him, had, recorded, had said to them, as recorded in John 16, a little while and you will see me no longer. But then again, in a little while, and you will see me. And then truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but then your sorrow will be turned into joy. I mean, the disciples were listening, but they simply could not understand. Now today, we have the advantage of the New Testament. To, to guide us along with teachers and commentaries and books to supplement our understanding. Now, throughout history, and certainly today, the world has many, many problems. And that's why we can't put our trust in the world or in mankind. Jesus warned in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So in what way has Jesus overcome the world? Because we see all this bad stuff happening. Well, by his resurrection, he broke the power of death. He was able to accomplish that only because he was the Son of God and one with the Father. So therefore, the seed of the woman really did crush the head of the serpent because, simply because God is sovereign. Isaiah 46 tells us, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is no other. I am God. There's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Thank you. Amen. So, looking back, 
God wasn't surprised to see his son on the cross. He was in control, and he knew exactly what he was doing. Beforehand, in his omniscience, Jesus knew he was about to suffer and die. And while fully God, he was also fully man. And his prayer in the garden indicates he knew just how painful the process would be. He said, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. And as the omniscient God, Jesus knew that death had no power over him. He wanted his disciples to know that, even though it would appear to be a total disaster. But it would actually work out for good. That good was the ultimate good, the cancellation of our sins by his blood, the satisfaction of God's perfect justice by God's perfect love. He was about to tear up the death notice of his disciples, including all who have and now believe in him. But to pay that debt, to satisfy God's perfect justice, Jesus had to suffer for all of our sins through the extreme pain of and the agony of a process called crucifixion, from which we get the word excruciating. Next month, during the Easter season, we will remember that process along with its glorious resolution. And it's a good thing to remember how much he suffered for us excruciatingly and intentionally. And we recognize that sacrifice with honor, reverence, humility, and certainly thankfulness. There is no greater gift, no greater demonstration of love for all who believe. Now, as we approach that season, did you ever wonder why they call the somber remembrance of the event at Calvary good Friday? How could something so horrendous as a crucifixion to the delight of Satan be called anything like good? Well, it's because the old deceiver was himself deceived. It's because God took what appeared to be a disaster by all accounts and made it, in retrospect, into a truly good Friday. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1 that God made this clear to us through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So with our 2020 hindsight, we have another advantage over the disciples standing there at the cross at Golgotha. We know after the apparent disaster of the cross, the Father raised the Son from the grave in victory over death. This knowledge and conviction gives us a whole new way to look at life. So please understand that God did not give the gift. Rather, he offered the gift to all. For a gift to be completed, it must be freely received. That's very, very important. However, God did not save all people by going to the cross. Rather, he provided the means of salvation for the whole human race. We must receive the gift. We must make a decision. Now, we ourselves, individually, 
are all fallen and subject to trials. Our situation as post-resurrection believers is really somewhat similar to that of pre-resurrection believers. Bad things happen then, they happen now. And we're still told that God is loving and in control. Earlier I referred to the, the, the bad stuff in Romans 8, which says that the whole creation was groaning together in pains of childbirth. After, as part of that creation, each of us individually are subject to cal the calamities of life. Yet, we have security in a loving and omnipotent God. Continuing on in Romans 8 at verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Though each of us has present struggles, we can look forward to the redemption of our bodies. And we're going to get back to that a little bit later. In addition, God has given us even more to help us along the way. Uh, Paul goes on to explain that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Sometimes we don't know what to pray, but the Spirit does on our behalf. Now the disciples at the cross watching this happen had difficulty seeing the good because they did not understand what Jesus told them about the future. Today, when we struggle with difficulties, disease, disaster, and death, it is our lack of seeing God as sovereign who knows what he's doing and that he will work all things, even our problems and the problems of the world together for good. Now, let me be clear here. I am not saying that everything that happens in this fallen world is good. Rather, we must trust in our loving Father who knows and controls the big picture that he will make all things work together for good, even all those bad things. Trusting or having faith in God in the Bible takes us beyond our limited, short-sighted perspective as Lone Ranger humans to an eternal perspective. As Paul says in 8.28, Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That begs the question, what is this good? Okay. Now, You've got to understand the context here. Paul was no stranger to pain and trouble. Listen as he exemplifies an eternal perspective in 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. In verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, pretty obvious, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all 
comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporal, but the things that are unseen, they're eternal. So Paul never once suggests that we do not face difficulties and pain. No, he actually confirms it. He himself suffered much, but he knew he served a God who was sovereign, who works all things together for good. Therefore, we may not see the good to which Paul refers. Rather, this good has to be his ultimate good according to his plan. The good is in the things unseen and eternal. Suffering and pain in life produces in Paul and in us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, as we suffer trials and, and, and sufferings and persecution, what can we look forward to? Peter says it this way. I think this is really helpful in 1 Peter 1. According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you and you for all who believe. This inheritance is the future state of being for the saved when our loving Father will, as Revelation 21 tells us, wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And not only that, Revelation 22 tells us no longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him and they will see His face. Despite inevitable problems, even pain, tragedy, and suffering in this world, this answers the, the final of the first three big questions of life, which are, where did I come from? Why am I here? And this one tells us, where am I going? No more important question to answer and that would, if you don't know where you're going, I would encourage you to think seriously about that today. Now, some people just, you know, they just can't accept this eternal perspective. They say, this is so hard, I just cannot see the good in everything that's happening. And they have a hard time with this. So to get them going in the right direction, we should recognize that there are some really some temporal benefits to difficulties. Uh, in his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis explains, I'm not arguing that pain is not painful. Pain hurts. That's what the word means. I'm only trying to show that the Christian doctrine of being made perfect through suffering is not incredible. Now, to prove it palatable is beyond my design. In other words, he's saying, you may not enjoy your suffering, but it has a purpose and it has benefit. Uh, in the military, at least in the Marine Corps, when somebody would complain about how hard the training was, somebody in the back would say either sarcastically or seriously, pain is gain. Now, in fact, that phrase is biblical. 
Romans 5 says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And James says the same thing in, in the first chapter of his book. At times, we can see the character born out of adversity. However, for many, it's much harder to see. As Lewis might put it, it's definitely not palatable. If you're approaching 30 or older, you likely recall watching the horrors of 9-11 unfold on your TV screen. There we witnessed the utter tragedy of violent hate on a grand scale. The loss of over 3,000 people over just a few hours was numbing, if not traumatic, and it affected the whole country, in fact, the whole world. A few years before that, the bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma City hit us closer to home. And it's really hard to see the good in all that. You know, but I suppose that the, that question crossed the mind of God's chosen when they were conquered and carried off into captivity. We cannot know why God allows these tragedies to occur, but he sometimes does. We must have the conviction that our loving and sovereign Father can use even senseless tragedies to work together for the good of those who love Him. I think we will know in eternity why these things happen. And Paul said that now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So when hit with huge personal loss and suffering, we should look at the example of Job. He fell on the ground and worshiped and said, naked I came into the world from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job is a great example of faithful trust. Would that we could all have that attitude in our comparatively small losses and setbacks. But if we want the next generation to, to persevere through these trials and tribulations, we need to have ourselves a solid trust in our so sovereign God who never loses control. And that means not just when his creatures start to lose control as the world appears to be at this very moment. But even in that darkest hour of all history, when the sins of the whole world were paid by a perfect sacrifice on the cross. So what gives us confidence? First, we and our young need to clearly see that it was not an injustice that a kind, loving, uniquely wise, and sinless man was put to death. Rather, it was God's perfect justice being satisfied by the suffering of his own son who gave himself up for us to pay the ransom for the sins of you and me. But beyond that, the father raised his son in victory over death. And because of that, no matter what the world does to us, no matter what the tragedies are, the injustices, God will one day transform our fleshly and decaying bodies into indestructible bodies so we can reign with him in an undefiled world. And it's with a firm confidence in the resurrection that we can face whatever God allows to happen to us. Again, in Romans 8, we can know that if God is for us, who can be against us? 
He's not going to abandon us. Why? Because we are assured that he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Through the resurrection, we know that Jesus will intercede for us. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. No tragedy or desire will shield us from the love of God for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No power, earthly or spiritual, can take that love from us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So for this to sink in, young people need to know the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, there is no historical dispute about the existence and the death of Jesus of Nazareth on the cross. What some skeptics are not willing to concede is that Jesus rose from the grave. This, that resurrection is the key to the validity of our faith. Paul made it clear in 1 Corinthians 15, if, remember the if, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen before asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied because we'd be fools. No matter how good a man Jesus was, if he did not break the power of sin over his own body, why should we believe that he can save us from eternal death? However, Paul continues, in fact, Jesus was raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man... Adam, came death by one man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul next sets forth the order of the logic of God's plan. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You know, God's word tells us in Revelation 21 that there's going to be a new heaven, and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem, where we will dwell with God after our resurrection. We're going to live in new bodies like somewhat like the body of the risen Christ. And not only that, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, pain anymore. For the former things, the former things have passed away. But until that happens, our earthly bodies are going to continue to run down, die, and decay.
But Paul continues, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown in the ground is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. This says that our bodies are buried, waste away, but when raised by our resurrection, those new bodies will never wear out. They will never die. It is sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. Our present bodies during our lifetime will disappoint us in sin, but they will be raised fully in glory. So verse 44 of that passage says that our natural bodies are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in power. And these buried bodies are just mere physical bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. In, the Febu- in Feb- late February of 1836, a small group of less than 200 volunteers occupied a Franciscan mission, and they looked out and faced a Mexican army of many thousands who were trying to exert control over the area we now call Texas. And seeing their situation, uh, their leader sent out pleas for help, for support, for reinforcements. And he ended that plea with this. If this call is neglected, I am determined with my men to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country. Victory or death. Signed, William Barrett Travis, Lieutenant Colonel Commanding. P.S. The Lord is on our side. Now, those brave volunteers held out for 13 days before they were overwhelmed and killed, allowing time for other people to to gather uh, and eventually win the independence of of Texas from Mexico in the following year. But the cry of remember the Alamo has been heard through the ages. In late February of 2022, A country was invaded by a much larger and superior force. They've sent out pleas for help. Similarly, they said they would not give up, but rather fight to the death. The parallels are striking. It's hard to imagine a more desperate situation and more trying circumstances. Certainly none of us have ever faced anything like the kind of desperation that they face right this moment. Rick Mills forwarded an email which was sent to him by uh, Roger Weddle of Makers and Means, one of our other ministry partners, from some American missionaries by the name of Timothy and Rhoda. I'm going to read it to you. This is quite possibly our last means of correspondence for some time. War is imminent and the consequences dreadful. A state of emergency has been declared and this will be followed by martial law. Young Ukrainian men from 16 years of age are being called up to serve in the military and Ukrainians are being given the right to carry arms. A major cyber attack is happening just now as we write, which has affected Ukrainian banks as well as government websites. Ukrainian citizens are being asked to urgently leave Russia and our local currency is in free fall. Rhoda and I are not leaving. How can we? As an elder in the assembly, my responsibility is to shepherd at all times. It would be a terrible testimony to get up and leave our local believers. 
We have been preparing for this day. We bought a generator, food, and, and fuel as we would like to turn the gospel hall into a place of shelter to accommodate and feed the assembly believers who will face many a hardship. God is about to give us a great opportunity to show our Christian faith practically and reach out into our community with the gospel. As we close, the military jets can be heard overhead, and we covet your prayers. We are not any braver than you, but confident. We are where God would expect us to be. And he quotes Daniel 4, 17. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it to the lowliest of men. They end with, please circulate and pray for the people of Ukraine, especially our brethren, but also for wise counsel to prevail upon the Russian and Ukrainian leadership. If you and I were in those circumstances, it may be that the only thing that would give us any comfort are the promises of a new heaven and a new earth. Today, at no time, looking back, at least over my life, has the world felt more unstable. And that helps us understand how important it is to trust the risen Christ and our all-knowing, all-powerful, perfectly just, and perfectly loving Father. No doubt, many of the believers in the Ukraine and Russia at this moment have only those promises of eternity to which they can cling. However, can you imagine a better promise, a better eternity? On the other hand, these great and awesome promises are nothing. They're meaningless, worthless if Christ did not rise from the dead. That's why Jesus described in the Bible, can in no way just be a great man, a wise prophet who did some great things. If Jesus is not the risen Lord, he is either a liar or a lunatic, and we are fools. So, which view do you choose? Which perspective of life and eternity do you want your children to have? If you're not sure Please come and talk to us. Please come and talk to us. Lord willing, next month, we're going to take up the evidences for faith in the resurrection that hopefully you can pass on to your children and grandchildren. Um, worship team, come on up. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, given the circumstances we find ourselves, I'm going to ask that we have just some time of silent prayer that we pray for particularly the church and the believers in the Ukraine and Russia specifically that they would of course be preserved but that they would also have an eternal perspective that they would know what's awaiting them if they have truly accepted Christ as their savior and then I'll finish up in prayer
Father God, you are so good, so loving, that you gave us your son to be an example, yes, but also to go to the cross and pay the price for my sins and the sins of all of humanity. You offered the gift, and all we have to do is accept it. That's it. Just know that we're sinners, and we need a Savior. We need payment to satisfy your justice. Lord God, help us to be sure of that. The world is uncertain, more uncertain than it's ever been. Lord, be with the believers in many countries right now that are being persecuted. Be with those right now in the Ukraine and in Russia who are facing not only persecution, but annihilation. Father, we pray that your hand would save them, that you would stay the hand of evil power, that you would put your hedge of protection around those believers, that you would allow them the privilege of remaining here to be a witness to how you can work. But Lord, also, please give them the eternal perspective of knowing that no matter what happens, they have an eternity with you in a body that will not decay, it will not be painful, it will not suffer, and it will never die. Lord God, how can we ever repay you? We cannot.